This episode of the Investment Interlude contains financial advice. The advice is general and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether this advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. When relevant, consult a financial advisor, financial counsellor or legal advice. You're listening to the Investment Interlude, a podcast that talks about money, finances, the stock market, and the economy as a whole. I'm Thomas Patterson, a finance and economics student at the University of Wollongong, and I'm here to keep you up to date on the economy and new tips that I've found on my journey to newfound wealth. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening on your commute to work, studying for that exam or putting off some extra work and making a podcast that explains investing. Whatever you're doing, welcome. It's good to have everyone back to anyone joining us new. My name's Tom. I run this podcast, The Investment Interlude, and I'm here to teach you about stocks, investing and pass on my knowledge that I've learned doing a finance degree and, you know, that little bit of economics that apparently I'm supposed to know as well. So... A lot of info in this episode is sourced from websites such as Investopedia and The Motley Fool, since a lot is written in basics with great terminology, which is easy for me to read out to everyone listening, and that might not have the best grasp on uh, financial terminology. So we're back to the investing side of things this week, uh, but never fear, trading topics will be back, so don't stress about that. So today, we're talking about what's a stock worth? Well, I've asked this to a couple of people actually out at the pubs and things like that. So, you know, here's my market research. Look, you could simply go with the stock price and that's basically what I get from almost anyone and everyone. Uh, but that, subject, uh, that price is subject to market whims, also known as supply and demand. Told you this would have a bit of economics in it. Another alternative is to determine the stock's intrinsic value. The intrinsic value of a stock is its true value. It refers to what a stock, or actually any asset for that matter, is really worth. Uh, even if some investors think it's worth a lot more or less than that amount. So, for example, you know something that might have a high intrinsic value but a low stock price it would be a bargain, for example. Uh, You might think that actually calculating intrinsic value would be difficult. That's really not the case. Not only can you determine the intrinsic value of a stock, but you can also use it to search for the best bargains in the market. Really? Right? Uh, Look, knowing an investment's intrinsic value is useful, especially if you're a value investor uh, with the goal of buying stocks or other investments at a discount. Um, so look, what is value investing? That could be a new term to some that's just joining us. I have mentioned it a little bit before, but in detail, value investing is an investment strategy that basically involves picking stocks that appear to be trading for less than their intrinsic value or book value as they can sometimes be referred to. Value investors actively, actively look out for stocks that they think the stock market is underestimating. Uh, a good example of this could be something like Tesla, um, specifically, uh, basically any company at this point that Elon Musk runs. Um, although in that case, it's got a very low intrinsic value, but quite a high stock price, according to book value sheets. They believe that the market overreacts to good news and bad news, resulting in stock price movements that don't actually correspond to a company's long-term fundamentals. Elon's Twitter account, for example, is one of those things. Holy cow. The overreaction is an opportunity to profit at buying stocks to discount price. You know, that would be considered if you want to in the investing world as on sale. I say that doing air quotes with me at the moment. Warren Buffett, by far the best known value investor today. There are many others, including Benjamin Graham, uh, who was actually Buffett's professor and mentor. 
writes one hell of a book as well, The Intelligent, uh, the Intelligent Investor. Highly recommend it. Fantastic book if you do like reading about investing. Wouldn't exactly recommend it to straight up beginners because it has got quite a bit of technical knowledge in there, but definitely good if you want to get into that. Uh, David Dodd's another one. Charlie Munger. Uh, Christopher Brown, uh, another one of Graham's students, actually. Um, and Seth Carlam as well, or Clam, Clamman. I think is how, you, how his name's said off the top of my head. He's the uh, billionaire hedge fund manager who would probably be uh, screaming after the whole Wall Street bets incident with GameStop. <laughs> Uh, look, in, in investing and more specifically finance, there are three ways to calculate your intrinsic value. One is the discounted cash flow model, so or DCF as we call it in finance. Now, it gets a little bit mathsy, so I personally have an Excel program to help me do a DCF. I think it's by far so much easier. Um, I'm pretty sure a lot of people actually just make DCF templates as well. I personally wrote my own just because I think it's easiest. Uh, but heavily, you know, if you don't want to get into writing Excel stuff, uh, by all means, go and download one. They're just as good. Uh, I just made mine a little bit colorful and a little bit pretty. Uh, without getting into the actual formula of how to do it, it's a fairly quick process or it can be involved if you choose to do it by hand. Um, highly don't recommend, don't really recommend that. But if you want to, you can. Keep up and brush up with your maths though. Um, so you need to estimate the company's future cash flows, calculate the present value of each of these future cash flows, and sum the present values to obtain the intrinsic value of a stock. Can be completely done by hand using time value of money calculations, uh, TMV as we like to call it. They're not very hard to do, um, but they can be when you start getting into like things like annuities and things like that. Uh, I don't necessarily come up, but to get the cash flows, they're going to be a bit interesting if they're reoccurring and they're putting money into cash. And it's, it's not the easiest thing to do without actually having the Excel spreadsheet, hence why it's the best thing to do. But by far, the first step is the toughest. Estimating a company's future cash flow requires you basically to combine the skills of Warren Buffett and Nostradamus at that point. You'll need to be able to delve into the financial statements of a business. Unsurprisingly, previous cash flows would be a good place to start. Big whoop. Uh, as generally, they uh, look generally. They're a pretty good indicator of future performance, but that's not always guaranteed. Uh, we see that so often with growth and things like that, but uh, past performance is generally a good one to talk to the stability of a company. You'll also need to gain a decent amount of understanding um, to do with the company's growth prospects to make an educated guess about, uh, about how the cash flow could change in the future. For example, Something like uh, Netflix, Netflix revolutionized uh, and everything went digital. I think a lot of investors actually saw Netflix going digital back when it was becoming a thing. Blockbuster was optioned to pick it up. They said, we don't want to acquire the company. We think it's a waste of money. Everyone's always going to want to go brick and mortar stores. And now where's Blockbuster? Rest in peace to the kings who still remember what Blockbuster is. Uh, for example, look, the way you can do that, you look at a, uh, a current cash flow statement and see that it's generated cash flow of say like $100 million over the last 12 months, right? Uh, and then based on the company's growth prospects, you can estimate that maybe the cash flow will grow by about 5% annually. If you use a rate of return, the ROR of about 4%, the intrinsic value of this would be a little bit over 2.8 billion using the cash, like a DCF going out for 25 years. So 100 million. 25 years, 2.8 billion, you can see how value investing can definitely add up. It's not 
the get rich quick. And I remember that Warren Buffett did say one of the most important quotes, which is why aren't people, he was asked the question, why aren't people interested in value investing anymore? And he said, nobody wants to get rich slow. Completely true. But investing, I personally think should be about building wealth. If you're super interested in training and things like that, by all means, go and do your thing. You know, um, I do it too. I love a little bit of short-term game. It can like fill potholes and sort of almost in a really, really blasphemous way, hedge um, any value losses that you have in a portfolio. But anyhow, that's a that's a good way of doing it. So that's the DCF model anyhow. Um, another one that you can use is analysis based on financial metrics. Um, personally, this is how I do a lot of it. So a quick and easy way of determining intrinsic value of a stock is to use a financial metric or a ratio. Uh, the most common one would be price to earnings or your PE ratio. Um, Google loves showing those ones pretty often. So the way that you use a PE ratio, you could go, uh, so the intrinsic value would equal your, then this is the formula, uh, the earnings per share, so your EPS times one plus R times your PE ratio, R being your rate of return, like what rate you expect that to grow at. So putting that into an actual calculation, $3.30 per share you get earned, um, then you've got times one plus and you think you're gonna have a growth rate of 12.5%. Uh, for that, you'd be looking at 0.125, because that's 12.5%. Um, and then you've got times uh, 35.5 for your PE, uh, and then you've got a per share of 131.79. What does that mean? <clears throat> That's what the intrinsic value of the share is. So if your share price is under $131, you should pick it up because it's worth more. If, it, if your share price is over, the market share price is over that intrinsic value of 131.79, don't buy it because it's not worth it in a way of saying that. So what is actually the PE ratio? The price to earnings ratio is very simply the ratio for evaluating a company that measures its current share price relative to its per share earnings, so its EPS. The price to earnings ratio is also sometimes known as the price multiple or the earnings multiple. As I said, it is a type of multiple or ratio. The price to earnings, uh, they're used by investors and analysts, so people like you and I, uh, to, de to determine the relative value of a company's shares in sort of an apples to apples comparison. You can't really do the old apples to oranges with this one because it, it doesn't show you anything. Um, comparing your price to earnings ratio with say your um, debt to assets ratio, like that's gonna do nothing for you. It, it doesn't really say anything. Uh, it can also be used to compare a company against its own historical record or um, actually to prepare, compare aggregate markets, so the combined market, uh, against one another or over time. So that's basically the financial metric method. Um, I will also talk about asset-based valuation just really quickly. So the simplest way of calculating an intrinsic value of a stock is to use an asset-based valuation. Formula is pretty damn straightforward. It's just the sum of company's assets, both tangible and intangible, um, minus the company's sum of liabilities. So for example, let's say um, if Tom Corp, that's me, my company, let's just assume that the assets total 500 million and its liabilities total 200 million. Subtract liabilities from assets, you've got an intrinsic value of $300 million for the stock. So what does that mean? That's where your market cap should be. 
Look, there's a downside to using an asset-based valuation though. It doesn't incorporate any growth prospects into the company. Um, an asset-based valuation can generally yield lower intrinsic values than other approaches. So that's something you could also sort of consider along with it. Now, the last one that I finally want to touch on today, and hopefully this hasn't all gone over your head because it is quite an interesting thing to learn about, um, calculating intrinsic values of options. So as we said, any asset, whether it's a stock, a bond, uh, a house, if you will, uh, a business, they all have intrinsic values. Options are pretty interesting. Um, I think a lot of people my age apparently trade options um, and buy options and such. Big shout to them. Uh, if you're doing that, you're doing bloody well. Um, for me personally, I only really use options to hedge because uh, I'll go into it more a bit later, but the way that options work is they have a limited downside and a potential, um, an infinitely potential upside. Um, unless that's for a put option, uh, that's for a call option, sorry. Uh, for a put option, it's the other way around. Um, to look at the graphs, um, and if you want a good rundown of it, I suggest visiting the YouTube channel, The Plain Bagel. Really good uh, video on what and how options and derivatives work. There is a rock solid way, however, of calculating an intrinsic value of stock options that doesn't require any guesswork whatsoever. So the intrinsic value will be the stock price minus the option strike price. What is the strike price? So the strike price is uh, basically the price at what you can buy the shares for if you execute the option. So the stock price minus your option strike price times the number of options that you've bought. So suppose a given stock trades for, let's say $35 a share. You own four call options that entitle you to buy 130, uh, 100 shares, let's go with, just make it easy, uh, per call of the option for $30. What's the intrinsic value of your options? The calculation is pretty simple with that. It's $35, because that's your share, minus your $30 strike price, times you've got 400 options that you can, uh, times 400, because it's the number of options that you hold, because it's entitling you to buy four calls four call options at 100 shares per call. Options that are not in the money, if you will, meaning that the strike price is greater than the current share price, actually have zero intrinsic value and are for a trading time only. Uh, sorry, let me rephrase that one just a little bit. Um, they're trading only for time value, basically. Um, an example of that would be that mean that the potential uh, the potential that the stock price could increase and drive the option price higher, basically. So you're sort of sitting on that with a bit of time, but it's got actual no real value in the world as of that point of calculation. So yeah, I hope you guys have actually enjoyed this. Uh, this has been a quick 15 minutes, whether it's on your way to work, as I said before, um, or putting work off and making an investing podcast. I really hope you've enjoyed. Uh, I'm hoping to get some guests on the podcast pretty soon. Hopefully a couple of financial stu uh, finance students and economic students, much like myself studying at Wollongong, trying to get their little input because you can only really learn so much from one person uh, is my belief. Anyway, guys, I really hope you uh, enjoy. Uh, I hope you appreciate all the content that I'm trying to put out for you guys. And I will see you all next week.